baby where we started now we on to something new let me introduce you to some of the fresh crew hollywood jack get a leader of the pack cory on your man ramby coming in stack robin with the y chilling in the nest holding down the crew can't forget the rest Queen of Queens carrying, yet she taking no mess. Bring your A game, cause there ain't none less. Paco last minute standing, yeah, you know how it goes. Rounding out the best, JV to the pros. Welcome back to JV to the pros. And this is episode, oh my goodness, Paco, what episode is this? This is uh, season three, episode 19. And we're another, we're one man short again tonight, folks. One man short, two women short. So right now it is just me, Corey Ramsey. And Paco, the last man standing. Audio engineer extraordinaire, chief of the boat, crew engineer, second only to Montgomery Scott. (laughs) All right, so we're going to hold it down for a little bit, provide a little bit of information, a little bit of entertainment, and who knows? If you're not careful, you may learn something before it's done. So, uh, Corey, how do you want to go about this? So uh, you want to get your audience up to speed? Because in the last episode... Jack explained to me about a little medical emergency that happened to you recently. Yes, and it caused me to break my streak. So, Cal Ripken and all you guys, you, you guys are sick. So, what happened is I had a little problem with the appendix. So, emergency surgery, and here I am, fortunately doing well on the mend. Have some stitches. I'm a little bit lighter because I'm uh, missing. An organ, a useless organ, as I'm told, but one that can be a deadly organ. So this is what I will say to people that are listening. If you have severe stomach pains, get it checked out immediately. Go to the hospital and get it checked out. And with me, I had these severe stomach pains, and I woke my wife up at 3.30 in the morning and told her, we have to go to the hospital. This does not feel right. And so after an hour and a half of them looking at me doing tests, they scheduled me for surgery. I mean, that's, it just, things moved that quickly. And then I had surgery later on, and then I was able to go home. Fortunately, they were considering keeping me overnight, but they let me come go home. And now I'm here, and now I'm uh, on the men and feeling much better. So I've been a little bit out of it, but it is good to be healthy again. So it's just one of those things where, you know, you just don't take for granted your health, you know, your breathing and the functioning of your organs because you don't see them. You know, you just don't know that they're there. So it's uh, it's good. And I'm quite happy to uh, be here even and back on the show. Well, and we're glad. I'm speaking on behalf of myself, Mr. Vecchio, the audience, and whoever else is watching, or listening, I should say, and the aliens picking up the signal here, That's because right. uh, even the lizards missed you, man. And I know, and all those people with the tinfoil hats and, you know, the truth is alien, you know, and so for all the people out there with the truth is alien, yes, they removed the organ, but I don't know what they did with it. Maybe sometime we'll have to talk about that. What do they do with the organs that they take? Oh my goodness, that might be an episode one of these That days. is a whole episode right there. The whole black organ market, uh, you know, black market for that. Yes. That's huge. Because yes. you know where medical waste goes. Yes. So who knows? We'll find out. But at any rate, well, Paco, listen, why don't you... Uh, like a chip to speed? Get me up to speed. So tell me, what is something that we should talk about right now? Well, I think the elephant in the room should be what's going on in the Middle East. More specifically, what's happening in Israel. Yes. Now, I know that you were out of commission for uh, for for medically uh, induced reasons, but during the time that you're recovering, there were uh, Israel decided to uh, launch airstrikes and hit Gaza Strip along with all their Palestinian uh, you know settlements along the uh, in their within their borders. Now, their official reason for doing this is because they're trying to uh, reach back against Hamas. Now, for those who are listening, Hamas is a Hamas, I should say is a terrorist organization, and they have been the brunt along with, uh, well, originally it was the PLO back in the day. But uh, now that, uh, one second. Ladies and gentlemen, we got a New England mask. Robin with a Y just showed up here, and she just gave me a mask with the New England Patriots. Spoiler alert. 
I am a Patriots fan and have been a Patriots fan for decades. You don't say. Yes, I do say. Yeah, but you're not a Sox or a Celtics fan. No, I'm not. I'm no, a Philadelphia 76er fan. Philadelphia Philly fan, even though they're terrible. Philadelphia Flyer fan. So you and Jack have something in common now. You both ha- are fans of terrible teams. Yes, absolutely. On that note, I bid you all a fair... Fun farewell. <laughs> wait, 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 Robin, in Espanol, por favor. Adios, mijos. Uh, hasta mañana. No, hasta next week. She's trying. Yeah, she's trying. So there we go. We had a brief cameo by Robin with a Y here. Buenas noches. But, but she's gone. So now it's just back to us. All right. Now back to the uh, harsher or harder subject, I should say. So right now, Israel is... Uh, uh, committing is uh, launching airstrikes against Hamas, and they're launching rockets back at them. Now, Israel obviously is a major American air- is a major American ally in the region, and they have a very strong military. And we should also mention that they are nuclear armed, but I don't think they're going to be itching for the button anytime soon. Well, however, the case though, you're talking about a small, you know, mili- paramilitary terrorist organization that we can that is whose capabilities only amount to launching unguided rocket attacks versus a well organized well-equipped military power whose uh you know most of their equipment is from us now for the obvious reasons there has been a lot of uh, calls again uh, you know against israel for their bombing of the of, uh, Pal- of the palestinian settlements and there are there have been reports of numerous human rights abuses now i could see this on cnn but lately i think when i before i left for the show today i think the uh the body count for palestinians was 215 Whereas for Israelis, it was somewhere less than a handful. Now, uh, Corey, now I understand that you've spent some time, and you spent a great deal of your military service in the Middle East. Now, uh, if you don't mind educating me, uh, the audience a little bit, but what is the, in your general opinion, what was the Arab world's opinion on Palestinians? You know, I don't know how much I can educate people, like specifically, but what I can say is this hatred between these two races organizations i mean it goes back centuries and it's so deep sometimes i wonder if they even know exactly what it is that they're fighting over it's just i think you're just born into that they're going to hate each other and so look i've been over there in the Middle East, wherein uh, Israel has done some things, some things that I cannot say. So this is not new to me. I know it's all over the news right now, and it's certainly trendy, and it's trending and everything. But this, is, this goes on all the time, unfortunately. And I don't mean to sound blasé about it, but it's just, it's happening all the time. And I think for us, so the whole thing, what's in it for us or what's in it for me, I think we just have to be careful about speaking out. When I say we have to be careful, I'm talking about our government officials have to be careful about speaking out. And when they do say something, let it come from a place of knowledge. So in other words, know both sides before you just go popping off at the mouth, jumping off or whatever you're jumping on Israel or if you're taking the side of the Palestinians. You just have to be very careful. So I actually don't even really have an opinion on it. Because right now, as of this recording, I'm not educated enough to really make what I would consider like an intelligent, informed, real comment on it. So all I'll say, again, to just repeat myself, is that, you know, these these people have been battling for so long over just pieces of land. You know, of course, religion. There's just, it's so deep, it's so embedded in them that i mean we'll be talking about this probably next year five years ten years from now 100 years even yeah i mean it just goes on and on and you know it's interesting you mentioned about government officials because right now the administration is sort of ambiguous about their response to it now uh this morning when i was watching abc news a reporter tried to stop uh joe president biden when he was you know in a you know boarding a uh, boarding a van and they asked him, and he said at the time, he just said, kept, they kept on repeating the line that Israel has a right to defend itself. I mean, that's natural. I mean, anybody, any sovereign nation has a right for, you know, to continue its existence and whatnot. But the way they're going about it is that because we also have a lot of investments and also 
like I said, the United States is its strongest ally. Well, look, let me give you another perspective. So when it comes to Israel, keep in mind that they are a small country, very powerful country, but they are surrounded by enemies. So that is something that we, in the United States, we have no clue what that would be like. We are a very large country, and we don't have enemies all around us. So what Israel does, and I'm not necessarily pro-Israel, I'm just giving you an, all of everybody another perspective, is that when something is done to them, they hit back so hard that it's almost like, I'm going to do double to whatever it is that you do to me, so I'm going to make it uh, not worth your while to attack me. That is how they have to do it because they are surrounded by hatred. So oh. that's the other thing that we have to take a look at here. Well, a nation that was born from hatred or, you know, escaped from hatred, I should say. I mean, the whole reason Israel exists is because of, well, it was part of the foundation of the UN and also just a response to the Holocaust. But the origins of the nation itself go back much a little sooner than or much earlier in history. You're familiar with the term Zionism? Yeah, I, I am. And I don't think we need to go deep into, uh, into like, history. No, I don't okay. want to go into uh, history with all of that and put people to sleep. But I'll put it this way. You're right, though, about Israel hitting back, and they hit back hard. Now, I could think the most obvious uh, example would be the 1972 Munich uh, uh, Munich attacks. Sure. When the uh, when the PL when Black September, the terrorist organization, took the Israeli Olympic team hostage and sat, and they were killed in an uh, in an attempted uh, uh, hostage situation, which then caused the uh, Mossad, which is the Israeli security uh, security services, or it's uh it's their uh, secret intelligence uh, so it's basically their cia this. right yes and yes i know what you're going to say so they struck back um which was fine i mean the thing the impressive thing about them is they don't have many terrorist attacks so people aren't taking their planes because they don't even let the terrorists on the planes so i mean they do a tremendous job of protecting themselves and their interests and they have to because they're surrounded by countries that want to eliminate them. So that's the perspective that we don't know about. And so people have to just realize that if they're going against, you know, if they're saying, oh, well, you know, Israel shouldn't be doing it. Again, I don't know enough about this at this time. So I guess for me, I mean, I think I've said all that I need to say on the matter. Yeah, I think I, that's all I could say about it as well. So um, let's move on then. What else you got? All right, well, um, let's go back to our, speaking of uh, governments and, you know, military hardware, let's go back to our favorite, uh, one of our favorite topics to talk about is uh, UFOs. Oh, yes. Well, you know, I, you know how I love the truth is alien. So what do you got for me on UFOs? Well, there have been more videos been being leaked out. UFO sightings by military personnel are actually quite more, are more common than you realize. Now, recently there was a video that was leaked out that was uh that was a ship that was anchored off of San Diego, which is right off the coastline here, and they actually filmed uh, numerous unidentified objects coming in and out of the water, and performing maneuvers that were well, just physically impossible by most physics standards. Okay, so I'm gonna play on the other side of the street here. So when you say leaked out, what does that mean? When you say leaked, well, the source was they don't know the the source is a filmmaker. Who is who is famous for, or I'd say not famous, but who is uh, who his notoriety comes from making documentaries about Bob Lazar, the alleged Area Fifty One worker. Okay, so let me tell you something about um, our illustrious government, United States, Uncle Sam, America, the beautiful and the proud and the great. Generally, you don't find anything out that the government doesn't want you to find out. So. When I hear the word leaked, there's some reason why that the government is allowing these photos to come out. There is some motive. I don't know what it is, but there's some motive. I, I have an idea. What's that? It could be it could be counterintelligence. Now, one theory was that I've heard from other people that the government has deliberately instigated instigated more UFO conspiracies as a cover for what was what's really going down i.e. for, you know, black budgets and secret aircraft projects that they've been working on for years. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because, so the most, like, the, the mo and most recent trends that you always hear about black triangles flying at night or, like, you know, people seeing a Delta-shaped uh, UFO, 
but these were going back as late, as early as the as the early 80s or the late 70s which oddly lines up with the development of the B2 stealth bomber out in area 51 when they were building it and testing it out so people kept making those assumptions and they would deliberately discourage people from you know or not discourage but encourage people to go with UFO conspiracies because they figured that it would actually get people to think like, oh, there really are UFOs, when in reality it's much more mundane, it's just really advanced technology. But also consider the fact that it even played into the into the eyes of the Soviet Union, because they had agents out here, they've always had people embedded out here for years. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could be. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, and so I, I don't buy the whole thing that it's being leaked. So, I, I look, we still don't know everybody involved uh, with the assassination of Lincoln, going as far back as that. If the government doesn't want you to know, you won't know. So understand that. So I, I don't buy the whole leak thing. It's allowed to go because there is some sort of end game that the government is playing. That's what I believe. There's an end game. Now, I do believe that there's life on other planets. So I think both can be true. So I think that are those uh, photographs real? I tend to think that most are but some could be fake and maybe it could be what you're saying. Maybe it's because they're looking to uh, get more money, but they're certainly not leaked. It's just, they're allowing it. They're allowing it to come out. You know, I mean, hell uh, we, again, we, we don't know everything that happened with the Kennedy assassination. They've redacted, redacted stuff, pushed it back. Now it's 2030 or 2035. I mean, I, I lose track on when they, said that they're going to release it. And when they and when they release stuff, it's all covered up, it's all blacked out, it's all uh back to front and covered up. So if they don't want you to know something, you won't know it. Believe that. All right, so Corey, then um if the government is if the Pentagon is, you know, talking about this actively, you know, obviously you you said that there's there's a strategy to this or they're playing like a it's like a chess game. So I mean, are they just, I mean, people are always leading. It's like, you know, people predicting like, oh, they're going to leak the stuff. They're going to leak the truth. Like they're not because they've been seeing that for years. No, the only thing that I, I mean, if this will give somebody hopes, maybe some of the tinfoil people, some hope, I'll say this, I'll play on this side of the street, that it could be that the government is preparing us for an announcement that maybe they think it's time, meaning the government, and whatever races they're dealing with, that maybe it's time to reveal themselves to the world. So maybe they're slowly, surely, slowly but surely revealing themselves. And so they're prepping us and getting us all prepped for it. Here's a question for you. Why would they do it now, in this point in history? It's like either they can't, it's like, I think it's like, do you think they just can't afford to keep it secret forever? Yeah, because I think we're we're getting visits and you know, amateur photographers, and we have so many people with cameras, I think that's become a problem, so you can't keep it secret. I mean, in the 1950s, I mean, very few people even had televisions in the 1950s. And, you know, if you lived in a town, there was only one newspaper. So it was, you could control the flow of information. Now you can't control it. So now, you know, as the genie starts slowly coming out of the bottle, you've got to, you've got to explain it. And so you got to get people ready so you don't have riots and chaos in the streets. Right. Because um, I think there was a quote from Emma from Men in Black, a person is smart, but people are dumb, panicky animals, and you know it. Yeah, they absolutely are. Well, I got something for you. This comes out of the digital genie bottle, if you will. All right. Because you're talking about right now what's pretty big with conspiracies. Uh -huh. You're going to love this one. So Mr. Bill Gates is going to be divorcing pretty soon. Yes. Now, the reason, now, it actually gets deeper and deeper. And I was hearing this on a podcast that I regularly listen to. Now, we all know that uh, that Bill Gates had, a relation, had an association with our dearly departed friend, Mr. Jeffrey Epstein. Yes. And, uh, of course, the wife was, the first thing we, when the, the announcement was made that the wife wanted to divorce from Bill, it was because of that association. Well, it turns out there's a little more to that than just uh, Mr. You know, the Mr. Epstein. And the reason for that is because there have actually been a few alleged incidents where uh, Bill Gates was having an affair with uh, female staffers at his, at the, at his foundation. Hmm. You know, I don't find that shocking. 
Well, a guy in power with that kind of money, of course, you know. Well, I mean, I'm saying just a guy cheating on his wife. I mean, when you boil it down, it's a man cheating on his wife. Now, let me ask you this: Do you think that's just you think that's just like uh, it's just, it's like fog for you know? Because I think the obvious answer, the the obvious reason is the Epstein Association. No, I mean, I think I mean, look, we never know what goes on in somebody's marriage, so this is what we have to look at. We have no clue what she put up with, what he put up with, and how they put up with each other. And they maybe just got tired of each other. You know, it could be something as simple as that. And so the fact that he's having an affair, is that shocking? No. I mean, so, and so she's just leaving him now. So you're telling me that she just found out now that he's been having affairs over the years? I mean, come on. I mean, I think they're probably just, I think we're making a lot out of nothing. We have two people that's in a marriage. How long have they been married? 25 years? 20 25 years, years, yeah. Okay, 25 years. And so they're tired of each other. That makes Both sense. will be fine. Oh, yeah. So I'm not sympathetic. And, I mean, imagine what the divorce is going to be like. Imagine what she's going to get back from the divorce. I mean, so. I mean, that's the reason why. I think that's the reason why she decided to just throw in the towel. Because she's going to be fine either way. Yes. And I don't think they're going to be without suitors. Either one of them. No, of course not. I mean, I mean, who wouldn't want to marry Bill Gates? I mean, really. And right. who wouldn't want to marry Melinda Gates? Come on. With that kind of money and power? Of course. Yes. I know there's probably some people listening and saying, well, what about love? What about love? Well, yes. I mean, love is great, but I mean, come on. A lot of us, most of us, maybe all of us have a price somewhere along. So, you know, I know that kind of wraps it up with... Uh, Bill and Melinda Gates and uh, my comment about love. So I know when Robin with a Y listens to this, she's going to think, well, my goodness, you're being cynical. I am really not. And so, you know, in lieu of that, I think next week, I want us to come up with the best or our favorite love songs. Mm, That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, Just come up with just the favorite love songs and why. Because, you know, we always come up with lists, and you know me, I love lists, and I'm always coming up with different things. But I think, you know, any era, you know, any decade, doesn't, you know, doesn't matter. What are our favorite love songs that we like to listen to that are very, that are very cool? You know, let me ask you something, Corey. Go ahead. You know, because you're old, obviously, you're an older, you're older, you're an older guy. Yes, I am. So, when younger people listen to music that you grew up listening to, mm-hmm. do you feel, let's say, like, do you feel appreciative of it or bothered by it? Because, you know, because people always want to claim like this was ours. Like you're just like, you know, you're kind of sampling it. It's like, for example, like, you know, I love Ghostbusters, but I was born 14, like almost 10 years after the movie came out. That's a great question. And uh, my thing is I don't get offended by anything and I don't put down what somebody else listens to. So in other words, I always say this, there's room for everything. The music that I listen to, it's so eclectic. So in other words, I like Snoop Dogg. So I'll listen to him. And then depending on my mood, guess what? I'll listen to Corn. I'll listen to Deftones, Smashing Pumpkins. You know, you're going all over the LA County Basin right there. I'm all over I'm all over the place. And then depending on my mood, I'll say, you know what? I'm in a mood for some seventies. So boom, Carol King. Chicago, America, Eagles, bam. Then, if I'm even more melancholy, then I'm going for, you know, the Beatles, the Mamas and the Papas. You know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, all of that stuff I just, I love. And, you know, like the 90s, of course, like I said, uh, you know, Snoop Dogg, a lot of that stuff. I mean, I'll listen to Dr. Dre. You know, I'll listen to Crossfade. I mean, there's just so much, you know, there's just so much stuff that I appreciate. So, and I think that people pigeonhole themselves with music or they'll say, like some people are shocked. There are actually people that are shocked that said, that have said to me like, wow, a black guy likes corn? Yeah, I was a little guilty of it because when you mentioned all these, uh, you know, all these, uh, you know, alternative bands, I'm thinking like, what? But, like, but you figure, but why is that though? Yeah, that's a great question. Tell me why. 
I, I because I, I think people just pigeonhole, and I think they just think they will look at me, oh, you know, an older black man, so he must like probably Motown. I do like Motown. Right. I, I, I love Motown, but you know what? On my iPod, I may have, I probably have on my iPod every song there is by Korn, believe it or not. That, that probably, they probably take up the most room on my iPod. You know, this reminds me of, you remember Lenny, uh, Lenny from Motorhead? Yes. So he was interviewed years ago, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how a, uh, he got a letter, a fan letter from a young African-American boy, and he was saying like how he was being ridiculed by kids at school because he loved ACDC. And the guy said bluntly in the video, Since I'm black, other blacks put me down and say that I'm a disgrace to the killer. Tell him to shove it, boy. Jimi Hendrix did all right, remember? It's a, it, it just kind of endearing. And it goes back to what you're saying, because it's being appreciative of, of the art and whatnot. And yeah, you know, you, it's, 50, it's almost 50 odd years before, after the fact. But if people are still listening to it, that means that it's still connecting at some level. The emotion that I feel is I feel sorry for people when they don't listen to all the things to listen to because there's so much good stuff out there. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Music is amazing and it's to be appreciated. And I think, you know, you just, you miss out on things. So what I do with uh, the 19 year older that uh, we have, I listen to his stuff. So he brings to me different things. Like I had never heard of like really paid attention to Cardi B or Offset and some of the other people. And so I didn't put him down and say like, oh, you know what? This sucks. This is terrible. No, this is the music that he's listening to. So I sat down and I listened to it. I'm like, all right, I get this. All right, Cardi B, not, you know, not too bad. You know, Offset, okay. I, you know, I feel you. So in other words, I listen to it and I appreciate it. And I think that's the thing. We just have to get to the thing where we appreciate what we listen to. And the other thing, too, that's shocking to people, you ever heard of the group Seven Dust? Never heard. Okay. So they're, of course, uh, alternative, you know, a lot of, like, screaming and that kind of stuff. Popular. The lead singer happens to be black. Oh, I got one for you. So uh, uh, I am Ice-T in the, in the, I think it was in 80, 88, 89, uh, he did Cop Killer. Yeah. That wasn't and that wasn't rap. That was just like straight up rock. Yeah, and I think here's the other thing too that I look at. So you know, like a lot of black people, you know, they claim you know gangster rap and that kind of stuff. Well, there's some hard alternative music and what's called new metal as an NU. To me, that's a, what I consider rap that Caucasians create. So I appreciate both. I got one for you. So, ska music. What is that? So, ska music comes from England, right? Okay. So, it's a strong tradition. It's a mixture because after in the post-war, because we out in post-war England, there was a huge immigration move. Uh, just group. give me some. Just give me some groups. I don't need a history. Lesson. I don't need. I can't name yeah. any groups off the top of my head. Okay. Point is, so ska music was resonated with a lot of people, and it was also a lot of African. Uh, there was a lot of people of African descent that were okay. in the bands, and that first became the first wave of skinheads this is before they were co-opted by white supremacists. yeah i got you i got you right well i'm you know look i've been down for the uh british invasion both both times now i wasn't around for the first british invasion you know with the beatles and the turtles and all of those other groups the association all that fabulous stuff but my goodness i love it and i appreciate it but i was around for the second british invasion with aha and tears for fear and all that good stuff that we had uh in the 80s tremendous stuff and i listen to all that all that stuff is on my ipod as well and so you know music is something that i can talk about all day every day you know because there's just so much of it and there's so much good stuff out there and i'm always willing to learn and i'll tell you that i thought i knew about alternative music until my third might have been my third deployment in 2009. I want to hear this. And that's when folks got me, some guys that I worked with, um, uh, op work, and they got me into Godsmack. There's one guy that I, that I worked with, and he was always listening to Godsmack. He had me listening to it. 
You know, we'd be doing operations, and before we go to do something, he would be listening to Godsmack. Let me check. Let me check this out. Boom. Like, all right. You were hooked. Yeah, I was like, all right, I'm feeling this. Okay, I got it. And that's when I got in the Deftones, because then um, I had a partner out there. In other words, a partner that I worked with, did operations with, was a female, and she was in the Deftones. Then I started listening to that, and I'm like, okay, I'm feeling that. And then she just loaded a whole bunch of that stuff on my iPod. And then I really, really got into it. I'm like, all right. Because before, I was just in, I just dabbled into alternative music because I lived in the Pacific Northwest. So I was. You were in that quadrant of the, of the country. Where- yeah. So I was like, of course, like Nirvana. Nirvana was huge. You know, the thing is, um, so there's a great docu. Sorry for cutting you off. That's okay. So there's a great documentary about the grunge movement back in, in Portland, Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the filmmakers came to our class and they discussed it, right? Mm-hmm. It turns out Nirvana was actually a second banana band in the whole scheme of the of the grunge scene at, in the time. It's just somebody videotaped them, you know, performing Teen Spirit, mm-hmm. and that got a hold of some producers down at Weiss, at Universal or I forget which record company it was, and mm-hmm. well, the rest is history. Yeah, I mean, and uh their uh, their album their signature album nevermind is one of the greatest albums of all time if you look at the list any list pick any list that someone creates like online guarantee you you will see nevermind somewhere on there as one of the greatest albums of all time and i'll tell you it's one of those albums for me it's one of my all-time favorite albums and it's one that i can put on and i can listen to every song and that's not something that i can say for most other groups because to me if i like an album if there's 10 songs if i like four out of 10 then i think it's a good album but with nirvana i think there's uh 12 songs and i for me it's like it's 12 for 12 i got an album story for you so you know how we always do uh, we talked about this uh, our poster child for cult leaders manson right yeah so this is how i got into the beach boys okay so in the in the fall of eighteen, that's when the first trailers started coming out for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. So I remember hearing about that. So and I saw the trailer and I was hooked because I'm a big film guy. Well, obviously I went to film school, and you know who doesn't love Tarantino? So immediately I started looking up Uma for Thurman. Yeah, that too. God, she didn't like him. Well, like, we can talk about that whole uh, story. We don't time, have to. I know, but we don't have to. I'll, I'll stick to the story here. So I saw this documentary about Manson and how the whole story began. Yes, and basically what it was is because of his association with, uh, you know, with the drummer from the Beach Boys. Yeah, Brian Wilson. No, 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 not I'm Brian. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Dennis Wilson. Dennis Wilson. Yes. So from that sprung, I, you know, because YouTube, the algorithm, right? Mm-hmm. I saw a clip of the John Cusack movie uh, Love and Mercy, where he plays. Uh, it's a biopic about Brian Wilson mm-hmm. and the production behind Pet Sounds mm-hmm. and going through his whole mental illness and whatnot, and then that's. And then I heard Sloop John B for the first time, and I was uh, like, okay. I was hooked. And I thought, I've never heard something so, like, beautiful, you know? Yeah. And that's a great, yeah, I mean, say what you want about it or anything, but that is one of the best songs ever. You know, it's unfortunate that Manson wasn't better at his, uh, at his craft because he really wanted to be a musician. And what I say is I, I, it's too bad he wasn't better because I don't think he would have taken his frustration out been killing people. I mean, a lot of that sprung because he was a frustrated man, of course, a drug addict and a user of women, basically a pimp. But still, I don't think he would have become like this killer, this horrible killer that we all know about if his music, if his music was better. And so, you know, I mean, look, look, he was in the recording studio. I mean, Dennis Wilson gave him every chance and there are you talk about documentaries you can see documentaries of manson and him and his music no oh, of course and then that was that was the that was one of those documentaries is called cease to resist mm-hmm. and that obviously that was the the name of the song that he wrote that the beach yeah. boys took from him and um he always alleged that you know they stole it from him but basically it was like a fair trade because if you're familiar with your history manson was living for free at Dennis Wilson's house, yes. and he went through his entire stipend of 150k, which was pretty substantial in 1960s dollars for all things considered. Sure, and it was joked because obviously, because you know, Nansen loved his girls, 
Mm-hmm. Um, most of the money went to drugs and paying for all the gonorrhea shots. Yeah, I, that wouldn't uh, it wouldn't surprise me. So I mean, look, I mean Manson had every shot to do well, but he blew and it. And so yeah, I mean he blew it. I mean, look, he was hanging around with the mamas and the papas. I mean, he was rolling around. So even, you know, he was in that whole drug scene too, that whole psychedelic scene. So, I mean, he was involved, which is incredible if you think about it, that you have that guy that was so embedded with Hollywood, that he with Hollywood stars, that he was like going to parties and everything. And that he had even been going to Sharon Tate's house prior to Sharon Tate living there. So, I mean, because I mean, he knew to get up there. Now that you and I and others have been there, you know that it's not the easiest place to get to. No, so that's why you think that he was there for both murders. That has always been my theory. I think he was there because I don't think that uh, Tex Watson and all the rest of them could get there in their drunk and their reported drug-infused state. So imagine driving up there. So you're going from what? Topanga Canyon. Right, you're going from Topanga Canyon, all the way up, uh, all the way up there. Um, it just just left my mind uh, what they're going Benedict Canyon. Right. So that's what, even in the best conditions, that's an hour drive. Well, yeah, because it's like a, it's it's like uh, God, it's. I mean, you've been out there at night. It's yeah. Almost, you can't get. I mean, if it wasn't for Google Maps, I never would have gotten out of there alive. Bingo. And so there's less lights. There were less lights back then. So it's like, how are you even going to find your way up there without all those lights? That's funny you pointed that out because remember that scene in the film where, you know, Leo is ducking out of the out of the driveway in his car? Yes. See all the lights right there? Yeah. We've been there in real life. There's no there aren't any lights there. Yeah, there are no there are no lights there. The only like reason that. why they put the lights there is because they had to see something at night. So that's yeah. where that's the the production company putting the lights there because the DP is probably screaming at Quentin saying, I can't see anything in here. Put lights. Exactly. And I've Googled it, you know, what that area was like in the 60s. So, no, you didn't have any lights. And you also had less um, less homes. So you didn't even have the light, even the lights coming from the uh, the homes there. Right. There was less light pollution probably. Yeah. So, I mean, I, to me, I mean, they, they found, I know we're turning this into like a, you know, a Manson thing again. But we, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll veer back to beach. Boys. Yeah. We'll veer back to the beach boys. But I think, I mean, he found his way, he found his way there. Um, I mean, he knew that Terry Melcher, the, uh, the, producer. the son, the producer and the son of, um, Doris day wasn't living there because he had visited the place and talked to Sharon Tate and she told him no, or if it wasn't Tate, then it was Jay Sebring, and both told him, no, you're not living there. He's not living there. Terry doesn't live here anymore. And so he knew. So, I mean, I think he just came back because he just, he was just an angry, frustrated uh, man. You know, what is it with angry people being mediocre art- artists doing uh, terrible things? Because can you think of another historical mediocre artist who went out to do probably the worst thing or the, the most evil thing possible? You know, because I am uh, not fully. My brain isn't like 100% fully functioning. I just don't know. So why don't you just say it? Uh, Hitler? Well, yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's just yeah. the textbook answer, but. Okay. All right. Let's get back to Beach Boys yeah. then. Yeah. I mean, look, the um, the Beach Boys, when I think of, when I think of the 60s and music, I do think of the Beach Boys. They immediately come to mind. I mean, when I think of 60s music, of course, first thing I think of, I think of Beatles. I think of the Supremes. I think of the Beach Boys. Uh, I think of the Rolling Stones. I think of the Who. Yeah. You, know, um, you know, Paul McCartney always considered Brian Wilson to be his artistic rival. Interesting. Because in the film, all the documentaries, they were always considered to be each other's like uh, rivals in, in the pop scene. You wouldn't think that, but it uh, the Beatles were huge overseas, especially in England. And the way they talked about, for example, in a documentary, Paul McCartney was recounting about how Pet Sounds, he would just, you know, he thought it was the most beautiful album possible. And from that, see, because they were like, they were like, it was kind of like, uh, it was kind of like jazz, if you think about it. Because, you mm-hmm. know, you have all the instruments playing off against each other. So it's like improvisation. Like, who can outplay out the other guy? Mm-hmm. So in this instance, what caused Pet Sounds in the first place was their previous, was the Beatles' previous album, Rubber, Rubber Soul. 
Yes. So then they did Pet Sounds, and I was like, okay, beat that. And they came out with the White Album, and then there you go. Yes. Remind me, um, it's a beautiful song by the Beach Boys. It's the song played, and it's on my iPod, and I can't think of it now. It's a song played at the end of Almost Famous. Oh my Beautiful song. By so the wouldn't Beach it be Party. nice to be together? No, no, it's another it's another song. And it's it's something else. I can't think of it right now. But I'll tell you, the song the song is beautiful. Yeah, and it's played, like I said, it's played at the end of uh, Almost Famous. Which is uh, oddly a big San Diego movie. Yes. It's the one that gets lost in between Ron Burgundy and Top Gun. <laughs> think so yeah i think so because when people think of when it comes to movies about san diego the top choices are going to be top gun of course and ron burgundy ironically though ron burgundy was barely filmed down here yeah i i like you've been to long beach the harbor yes so the scene where uh you know vince vaughn is going off against will ferrell that's right there oh that's right yeah it looks kind of like coronado because it has the similar like the similar like uh, architecture and I looked it up and I realized, like, no, this is uh, Port of Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Feel Flows, that's the name of the song. Feel Flows? Yeah. I've heard that song. one. Yeah, that's from their second, that's from the album that came out after. I think it was Smile, Smiley Smile. Okay. Because originally, Brian Wilson was doing Smile, and that was going to be more crazy and wacky. But at that point, the drugs and the uh, mental illness hit an apex. And so then the Beach Boys, i.e., uh, what's his, not, no, what's, what's, what's the, what's his, like, the guy, the Mike Love, which is always, he's always been like a, a thorn in Brian's side. He was the one who would tell him, like, listen, you got to get back to the formula because that's what that's what they were known for. You know, like, you know, sunny smile, you know, cruising with girls in the cars at the beach. Yeah. And that's why free flows. It's different. So uh, check that song out. It's really it's really different. It's kind of like a melancholy song. and It was just uh it, it's really different. It's it's a well, it departure goes, from their from their usual fare. Right. Now, the one song I think, but hate to go back to, but, you know, the same thing is, there's nothing wrong with, you know, going back to bass here. But, like, uh, I guess, like, you've seen Boogie Nights, right? Yes. Remember the ending song? No, I don't. It, it was a Beach Boy song. Okay. Yeah. And it was uh, God Only Knows. Uh, and that's yes. a great song. Yeah, I mean, you is. could, you could, I mean, you can't, you, you can't, you can't go wrong with that one yeah but i mean i like i mean i like all their stuff i mean i even like their bubblegum stuff you know surfing usa i mean i think it's cool and every time that i'm uh in manhattan beach on manhattan beach i think of the beach boys because that's what they're singing about they're singing about manhattan beach right and, and all their times there they grew up in hawthorne right yes right so it's like right there that's the southland right there yeah so good yeah. uh good stuff with the uh, with them yeah seeing like i said music I, I can always i can always talk about uh music when you think of 60s uh music what do you think about you think obviously beach boys but also like well ob- the most obvious uh ones would be like the you know Jimi hendrix the who oh, yeah. all those acts that you know like the real like you know psychedelic stuff all oh, and also credence but you know, yes. CCR has been overplayed like crazy because every time there's a military movie, i.e., any any time there's a Vietnam War movie, they're always playing you know Fortunate Son. Yes. But you know, uh, let's let's you know what there's the song. It's ironic because that song is actually one of the most anti-war songs uh, ever made. I know because I've heard that. Because you're familiar with the lyrics, right? Yes. So I think the story was behind it was that they were basically it was a critique of Eisenhower's son who was got a deferment didn't he mm-hmm. and that's the thing i don't want to be no fortunate son you know yeah yeah i mean just uh good stuff i mean the 60s so anybody out there listening if you haven't really listened to 60s music do yourself a favor just check it out i know if you're in the cardi b and the, and all that other stuff and gosh i don't even know who, who else is like really famous now but uh, uh Kanye's still big. Right? Kanye West, okay, and then uh yeah, I just I, I can't even picture I can't even like think of the people that are important now. I mean there are certain songs that I listen to and I have serious radio in my car. You know, like of course with all the different genres, but I'm telling you, like I'm I'm on sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, you know, uh turbo. Let me tell you something. So I think I know the reason the what you're describing 
is because it's like, what else can you, you know, sing about, right? And the thing is, like, we're unique in our in history is that we have we have we have recording materials of songs that came out 50, 60, 70, God, even 100 years beforehand, right? Mm-hmm. And they still sound exactly the way they sounded from the day they were recorded. Sure. That has never happened before in our entire history. The shelf life of any of these songs or just like anything like culture-wise has a very short shelf life. Well, sure. I mean, because we have the technology. And the other thing that we have, which is great, is that we've gone beyond radio stations. So, like, we have, like I mentioned, Sirius Radio. And then now we have, you know, CD players and things like that and iPods. So, I mean, when I was a kid. We're streaming now. <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, like, I would listen all day if I wanted to hear Sister Golden Hair by America. Like, I would turn on FM, hope that it would come on, and then eventually it would come on. It's like, oh, yeah, there, there it is. Oh, there's it's playing, it's playing. Oh, great! And that's where mi- that's where mixtape culture came from. Yeah, because you had to, you would have to look. It's like you know the same way we people would uh, the same uh, reasoning with TV Guide. You know, because you had to be at eight thirty to see the certain show or a certain episode. You know, because yeah. back then, you know, home video or home entertainment still didn't exist or it was still in its infancy. Yeah, it was in its infancy for me when right. I was young. Right, and it was still uh, still very expensive to get any kind of recording material, record material back then. Yeah, I mean things were, I mean things were a big deal. You get that TV guide, and something would be coming on, and you'd be like, "Wow, it's coming on," you know. Or even like when I was a kid watching uh, Cole Shack, the Night Stalker. See, comes back, Truth is Alien stuff. Watching that when I was a kid, you know, and that would be a big deal on Friday nights. Even though, look, the show only lasted for one season but they would always rerun it and i do remember friday nights 10 o'clock coal shack gotta watch it must watch you gotta remember but it's that cult following is what kept that show going along i mean same reason like dark shadows was on for such a long time i mean the only reason star trek was ever ever became star trek was because of the reruns and you know all the you know pirated tapes that were being circulated yes dark shadows my goodness, I'll tell you. I actually, I, I'm a. It's one of my guilty pleasures. I love the Johnny Depp movie. Oh, uh, really? I never watched the Johnny Depp movie, but I'm familiar with the uh, the original and the great Laura Parker. No one had eyes that big and that blue. I mean, she was uh, amazing, Laura Parker. Yeah, my dad was describing watching the show as a kid, and it was just like you know, because I mean, because it was on TV at the time and everything, and it was just like. That was like their, you know, it was their soap opera. Yeah, and it was a soap opera. I mean, you had a whole love story, you know, with Barnabas and, of course, Angelique. Angelique was uh, Laura Parker. And, you know, and their love story. And it was just, you know, it was a very interesting show. Very interesting. But, you know, you had a lot of good stuff back then. There was a lot of, like, decent uh, horror movies um, from, the like, the late 60s and 70s that had, like, a big influence on me now like you know that I like to write uh, stories, like short stories and suspenseful stories and horror. And a lot of those shows had a big influence on me. Let me ask you something. Let me guess. Polanski, uh, Rosemary's Baby? Yeah, Rosemary's Baby. That's a good call. Love that one. Um, Mine was probably The Exorcist. Exorcist, fantastic. Still, I think to this day, the scariest and the best horror movie of oh, all time. Oh, of course. I mean, it just captured the cult, the cultural zeitgeist and just everything about it. Yes. And I also, because we both grew up Catholic, so, you know, yes. we have that connection. And another movie, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, came out in 1971. I still haven't seen it. You must see it. It is a psychological thriller. And that movie also has a cult following. Let me ask you something. I know, um, you like slasher films at all? You know what? I did when I was younger. Like, the very first uh, Friday the 13th, I felt was brilliant. And then the subsequent sequels were crap. Yeah, I mean, and then it just it just became uh, garbage. But I do think that uh, that first one, classic. But, I mean, then it just became, like, terrible. Because then you had, what, you had Terror Train, and then you had uh, Night School, Happy Birthday to Me. Um, you had all these other like terrible, terrible movies. Right. 
Well, because at the time it was a very, it was you know very cheap to make horror films, and yeah. you'd expect you know t- you would make you know X number of money. And it was just schlock. Yeah, and they just started coming out. But I mean, look, I don't put it down. I mean, because at the time, I mean, I went to the theater to see some of them, and it was good, scary fun. So it, it was, you know, I mean, I'm an older man now, but it was fun to actually see some of those, and, you know, and you just don't take it seriously and you just enjoy them. And so I did enjoy them when I was, uh, when I was young. Can I ask you something? Sure. So we're talking about older films, right? Have you ever seen the original Haunting of Hill House? Yes, I have. From the 60s, the black yes, and white the black one. and white one, Russ yeah. Tamblin and mm-hmm. uh, a few other actors, I can't remember them, but... What's interesting about that film is that it was you would you never saw the, the actual ghosts. You would just right. see like the doors being pushed in or you know creaks and the cinematography was really playing into it. That's the thing back then. It was the subtlety and that's what made it scary. So that Jessica movie, I'm telling you you need to see it because it's creepy, the music, the shadows, the town. It was filmed in Old Saybrook connecticut so new england horror all the way yes and uh full disclosure here old saybrook i have written three horror stories that take place in old saybrook connecticut you know that's something we could talk about because you're obviously a literary minded person yes so hp lovecraft he basically originated the whole trope of New England horror. Yes. So let me ask you something. Why is it that we always associate horror with New England? Is it because of the pure, because uh, of its background is, I mean, also it's possibly the oldest part of North America. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that, I mean, it's so you have, of course you have Lovecraft who, who started there. You go back even further, go back to Nathaniel Hawthorne. Right. With, with uh, his, with his stories. Um, and then you go to Washington Irving and so, yeah, so he was writing, he was writing all that, the devil and Tom Walker. So it starts there. Then also you think about the Salem witch trials. So there's a lot of stuff around there. And then all the superstition about, you know, Indian, uh, burial grounds. That's what it was called then. So now it would be called native American burial grounds. A lot of stories coming up, uh, from there so then it just sort of it's taken on the other thing too what makes what makes it interesting and why filmmakers like to uh, uh, shoot there because it's uh, it's cloudy you film in the fall time so in other words like the Jessica movie filmed in the fall time so what does it look like on the east coast it's you know it's kind of dark you know it's kind of cloudy you know, it's cold, it's a little bit windy, all that invokes horror. Like, are you, like, do or you Or Jack think, driving a taxi. Yeah, or Jack driving a taxi. I mean, do you think horror when, you're like, you're on the beach? Like, can you imagine, like, a horror movie, like, on the beach or, like, a beach town? Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't quite work. Well, it did for Jaws. You're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah, but no, because- Jaws was more, you know what, you could almost put that as kind of, like, a monster movie too, but it was a high. It was a it was a grade A monster movie. Yes, it was a grade. A, yeah, well, I'm not disputing that, but what I'm saying is, is that that doesn't compare to the conventional horror movie. I don't look at Jaws as sort of a horror movie. But but that's the reason why it works. Now mm-hmm. let me tell you this. So years ago, Bravo had this like this little uh, a TV series called The Hundred Scariest Movies. Okay. Jaws was number one on the list, and I was completely baffled then. Now that I've been to film school and obviously I've read basically everything I could get my hands on when it comes to Jaws, you know, critically and, you know, just basically dismantling the whole thing and how to make it work. I understood why what Spielberg did was genius because you took a what would have been a schlocky movie, uh, you know, movie premise, which is a giant monster terrorizes a small town. Right. Mm -hmm. But you did it with, you know, you did it how Hitchcock would have done it. Right, and you are in a sub in, in a subliminal way. You are still working with the you know pantheon of New England horror because it's right there, which is Amity, which is uh, just a regular town on yep. you know Long Island. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't expect this stuff to happen. And mm-hmm. the way that the shark is portrayed is like this almost living this inescapable force that can't be bargained with and is beyond all human understanding. Yeah, I mean, uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous movie. Um, you know, I I. Watching it the first time, absolutely scary. I don't think it holds up uh, 
to The Exorcist, I think, for scariness. I think The Exorcist still, to me, is the scariest. But I wouldn't argue with someone if they feel that Jaws is, because it's all a matter of opinion. I think ultimately. it's also I think it's also like the difference between horror and terror, mm-hmm. because I think Exorcist is way there's more horror in that, and Jaws is more terror. Because yeah, it's more you know in suspense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's why I would classify that more as a thriller. And um, but you it know, did have but its a great fair one. share of gore. You know? Yeah, I mean that was fine with the gore, but you know some of the horror movies that I've just described, and uh, like another one filmed, um, well, coincidentally filmed in upstate California, was uh, "Don't Be Afraid of the Dark" with Kim Darby. Oh, the original one, yeah, that was remade re- by Del Toro back. Yeah, a couple hor- years. horrible remake. But the it's ori- creepy. The original one scared the heck out of me as a kid. The fact is, I mean, and that touches on something somebody hiding in your house people little things hiding in your house and whispering to you that's something that i think that creeps out everybody and that's what creeped me out as a kid i got one for you so we talk about people hiding have you ever seen the people under the stairs yes i have so people say that that's basically what so the director is wes craven who's famous for the screen movies and freddy so people have reevaluated that film and they consider it one of his best films i can buy that because of its, uh, well, if you look at it now, a lot of, uh, because the movie came out like in, in 91. Yeah. But this is like at the end of the Reagan era. But it's still, I mean, but people were still in that, in that, in that mindset. Now, if you watch the movie, you see that the villains look just like Ronnie and Nancy Reagan. They got the same haircuts and everything. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't even thought of that, but that's okay. Well, because people, people have always like considered like, uh, well, that. Reagan was oblivious, if not downright, you know, was uh, detrimental to African-Americans in the 80s. I mean, look, it's a horror movie. I just don't go too deep into it and get all political over that. I just watch the movie and enjoy it. Um, That's just a new thing, you know, know, because people just always say like, oh, they always want to say like there was a there's a subversive subtext to it. It's like, no, if you like the movie, that's great. Yeah, that's tremendous. Well, you know, to that, I say whatever, you know, you can pick out anything. you know, again, going back to the Jessica movie, some people said, uh, believe it or not, that that was a referendum on the hippie movement, that they were coming down because there's a guy there who's a hippie. And so it's people that are trying to get away from the big city and trying to get away from the hippies and they're trying to change their life. Whatever the, the point is, is that you can like take something and change it and make it fit your narrative. You can take a movie and say, this is a referendum on this. And I'm like, I didn't think anything. If you watch that movie, you tell me if you think about hippies at all. It's not once that I think about hippies watching that movie. So, you know, I mean, like I said, you, you can take anything. I mean, you could probably take, like, you love Ghostbusters. Someone can probably twist themselves in knots and say, well, that's a referendum one because they're trying to get rid of people so maybe they say the ghost looks like a particular race so maybe the ghost looks like black people the ghost looks like alien uh um, asians and so they're trying to get rid of that i mean you see what i'm saying that people no, I, can I get do, you. people can do that kind of stuff oh it's yeah like, I, I don't care it's just you know it's funny you mentioned that because people consider uh, ghostbusters the mo- one of the most conservative movies ever made and again i i don't even get that well, because, like, in the movie, Walter Peck is big government, the EPA guy. See what I'm saying? Yeah, and how he shuts down, he blows up the firehouse and lets yeah. all the ghosts out in New York. See what I'm saying? That's what I call overthinking. It's 1984. The economy's pretty good. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy the movie like I did. Just watch the thing and enjoy it. And it's a, you know, it's just a good, clean, fun, harmless movie, I think. And so do I. Yeah. So... All right. Well, you know, again, movies I can talk about all day. I can talk about uh, music and everything. But you know, we should probably we should probably go ahead and get out of here, huh? Yeah, that's right. Because uh, we've got some uh, loud people outside. Yeah, loud people. But you know, it's good to be recorded in person. So absolutely, man. I can't do this over the damn jet. Well, the time lag off of uh, you know using Zoom just or just FaceTime. That's right. So listen, if you were wondering. Where you can listen to us, well, my goodness, radio.com, iTunes, Spotify, iHeart. I mean, we're everywhere. Everywhere 
where there are podcasts, you can find JV to the Pros. And if you want, feel free to email us. Uh, that's JV to the Pros. What is that? Uh, at gmail.com? Is that what it is? I think so. I'll just yeah. dig up Jack's old file so that yeah. he can. Yeah, then so Vecchio can have an artistic cameo in this. And you can find us on Facebook as well. And so, you know, you can send messages. You know, if you have anything nasty to say, you can send it to Jack Vecchio by all means. So, yeah, when you do it, uh, kindly wrap it around a brick and throw it through his window. (laughs) No, we don't want you doing that. No violence. Okay. Okay. We're a no violence zone here. So that's JV to the pros, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, Corey, you have anything else to say? No, that's it. So uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, we should be back, of course, in full force next week. Truth is Alien will also be back next week as I continue to be on the mend. And so everybody have a good night. Take care.